It's time for another retro throwback sidetrack bonus episode of The Hive Jive. This bonus episode, titled What Do You Mean Single Box Method, originally aired on Patreon back on August 20th, 2020. Enjoy. Hey, all you Hive Jive junkies out there, it's that time again. Join our hosts, John Swan and Ken Milam, for another bonus edition of The Hive Jive. We are ready and we are rolling on Hive Jive Junkies. Welcome to your Patreon bonus episode for this Thursday, everyone. Howdy and hello. Hello, family. Hey, y'all. <laughs> you hear the clamor in the background. We're good. We're good. We're great. Hopefully, they might be saying, we're melting, we're melting. Oh, I want to No, the ones that are other than around Texas saying, what the hell is a y'all? <laughs> <laughs> y'all. Y'all. Not to be confused with a yak. Yeah. Over there. Over there. Over there. Over there. Over there. Over there. What? Over there. Over. Over. Oh, yonder. Yeah. Yonder. yonder. Uh, y'all. And fixin'. Out yonder way. Yeah. I think the other word is fixin'. That's that's one I always used to get to crap for. Yep, fixing, fixing to, fixing to do this, fixing to do that. They're like, you're what? Fixing. I'm fixing to do it. Just leave me the hell alone. I'm fixing to do it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm fixing to. Uh, so um, I have big shock and surprise to everybody on this one. I have uh, zero game plan for what this episode should be for our bonus episode. Um, on the main segment earlier this week on Monday, we talked about butt acid vomit and we talked about heat and we talked about uh, some updates from around the world. And so now here we are and um, not really, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I didn't have any great show stopping ideas or moments that I thought I could throw out there um, to get us something, you know, a, a thread to pull on to go through with. But uh, do you do you have anything, any any topics maybe you've seen online, anything that uh, has come up that made you scratch your head or that you would like I'm to? I'm worried about is our bees, and, our, and here in Texas especially, with the heat that we're having right now, this heat wave, uh, there's a lot of, I know you were talking about the, uh, what is it y'all have down here? Uh, the uh, goldenrod. Uh, we don't have it in Lano County, but uh, I'm thinking people. I know our bees have already started coming to Ultra Bee, the uh, the pollen uh, sub pollen, pollen substitute. substitute. Yeah, and uh, I'm wondering about should we be should we stay feeding? I mean, if we don't have goldenrod, if we don't have a flower out there, should we still be feeding? Should we be going to two to one here before long, honey? I mean, sugar and water? I don't specifically. Um, so first and foremost, obviously, is what food stores 
do they have or did they have and monitoring to make sure that everything's good there and then going through and watching. So for my colonies, if I go out there and I check my colonies right now because I have not started feeding, but I also have not done my main honey harvest. So they still have all of their natural food, right? Mm -hmm. If I go out there and I check my colonies right now and I find open liquid in the cells, then they are finding food somewhere from something. And I just need to monitor that and make sure that they're doing okay. But the best thing that you can do is you go check your colonies early in the morning and watch them and see if they're bringing in pollen. Because that's when they're going to bring it back is going to be the heaviest anyway is first thing in the morning. They have uh, overnight, they've used it to feed the brood and do other stuff. And so in the morning, they're like, we need a fresh batch. And they send everybody out when it's cooler to go out there and get that pollen and bring it back in. So in the first thing in the morning, if you watch your bees and you see them bringing in pollen, you know there's something out there available for them. Now, on the flip side of that, if you don't see them bringing in any pollen, then you could start feeding them a pollen substitute. And there's, you know, there's different ways to do that. You can make patties and put it into the colony and force them to either deal with it, eat it, or remove it, and potentially give the hive beetles a buffet, which is why I don't like doing that. Or you can do what we do, which is the open feeding of dry pollen powder substitute. And you place it into either a man, well, man-made, a custom DIY version of a pollen feeder or you can buy a pollen feeder and you put the powder pollen substitute in it and the bees will find it if they need it and that's my favorite thing because then they're still foraging like they would do in nature they go and they find it very quickly and readily if they need it and then they bring it back to their colony if they need it they're also mixing it with enzymes like they normally would they're doing all of their normal processes that they would with pollen by going out foraging mixing a little bit of nectar with it to make it sticky, balling it up, putting it on their legs, mixing enzymes with it, bringing it to the hive and making bee bread out of it. Um, that's kind of the, the best alternative, in my opinion, to do that. Now, if you live in states where you don't have as big of a problem with hive beetles um, or the colonies are super strong and healthy and they can eat that patty within a few days, then you can go ahead and use the patty substitutes versions as well. But Feeding the pollen is number one. That's first and foremost. That gives them the protein they need to go through and start raising brood. Now, the other aspect of it is the sugar syrup or the nectar substitute. And if you notice that there's not like all the cells are dry and they're eating through the food stores that they do have, then you can go ahead and start feeding. But I feed still the one to one sugar syrup. I don't switch over to two to one until about the middle of October. And because it's still for us in Central Texas, from the middle of October to the middle of November, feeding a two to one sugar syrup as much as they will take is that last ditch effort to go through and bulk up and be ready for winter. But I don't want them to bulk up and backfill their cells now because I want them to spend the last part of August, all of September and the first part of October raising fat healthy winter bees because okay. we need those we need a lot of those fat healthy winter bees to be able to survive the winter so if you feed them two to one right now and you feed them copious amounts and they backfill everything then there's no room for them to raise brood and your colony is going to stall out and you'll have a smaller colony going into winter so you want to be encouraging brood production right now so i feed just one quart pretty much one quart a week um, two quarts if it is a bigger colony and they're eating through all of it and not storing it and you check them three or four days later and they're still bone dry, go ahead and give them that second quart. But otherwise, you know, kind of that fine line, just like we always talk about, one quart, maximum two quarts a week spread out over 
three days, four days in between each of those if need be. And it's just the one-to-one sugar syrup. You can go through and do um, some of the beef supplements and uh, some of the stimulants, things like that, if you want to and mix that in with the sugar feed. Don't get carried away. Um, Less is more when it comes to a lot of those things. And stimulate them that way and feed them, and then they're good to go. But, yes, you you do want to be feeding during the summer dearth if the colony needs it, but you don't want to go overboard. You want to give them enough to bring it in to raise the brood and to do what they need to do, but not necessarily so much that they're storing it. We're trying to get them to raise a lot of healthy brood the last part of summer and, and the first part of fall for those fat, healthy winter bees. Yeah, we're uh, we're working. I started counting swarms that we've got this year. Uh, across the road, I got eight or ten that are new swarms that we have, well, new colonies that we've had that were swarms. And most of them, we've been feeding them, and most of those have really got pretty big. I think they're going to winter out. We got one bunch that I may have to blend with, uh, mix with another a uh, bunch, but uh, most of them look like they're going to winter fine in an eight-frame box. So I'm really looking forward to that. And we got several that Max is saying, Dad, you want to try a fall split? I says, well, I don't know. I says, well, if we try a fall split, we're going to hurt both bunches going into winter because we're going to pull bees off of the main colony and we're going to have a small split that we're going to have in a five frame or probably ours would be in a four frame in those those uh, boxes that we have. I says, I don't know. I says, uh, I don't know about the fall splits. Uh, what do you think? We've actually had a few listener questions in regards to fall splits, and we we will go through and we'll do either we'll either add that into the upcoming listener questions episode, or we will go through and do a dedicated episode just to fall splits. Um, but we'll go through and we'll talk about that. Okay. So that's how, that's y'all's tease. We we just let y'all know that we're going to talk about a fall split one of these days. <laughs> We also had a, a listener, and he sent this message. It was actually, it wasn't even a message. It was a comment on one of the social media posts about something else, and his comment was kind of separate from that. And he said, I'm wondering if you guys are ever going to talk about a single brood system or a single brood box system. And I have looked at that multiple times, and I haven't addressed it yet because I really need to actually message him back for clarification Because I'm trying to decide the way that he phrased it made it seem like, for whatever reason, when I read it the first time, made it seem like he was talking about raising bees in a single box, period. All winter and everything? Or is he feeding them all? Just period. No, just raising bees in a single box, period. That's that's how... I got a long line. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's that's different, though. I think he's talking about like just a regular 10-frame deep brood box. Um, but the, that was how I initially took it. And I was like, what? And then, but as, as I read it again, a couple more times, I got to thinking that he might actually be talking about 
using a queen excluder mm-hmm. and keeping the brood just in a single box but still adding additional boxes to the top of it, that would make way more sense to me than the other. Because the other one is going to be basically, yes, you could, in theory, because a 10-frame box is about the average size of a normal colony and the cavity that they would find in nature. So you could leave them in it to their own devices and let them do what they do. They will survive. They're going to go through. They're going to swarm a lot. And it's going to be really hard to try to mitigate that type of swarming. Um, And you're not going to really get a honey harvest. So if you're going to try to go in there and steal all their honey from them, that's a big no-no because you're never supposed to take all of their honey and then make them redo it. Um, you know, that wouldn't be a ethical or health conscious standpoint of what you're doing with beekeeping. So I don't know about that. And that's why I'm kind of hoping that I am the one misinterpreting that. And that's also why I haven't addressed it yet and haven't went out there and said, yeah, this is how this would work. Because I also feel on the flip side of it, though, if you're talking about just raising bees with one brood box and using a queen excluder and then having regular boxes above that for honey supers that's something that we we kind of talk about all the time and i guess i take it for granted because i don't always point out to the listeners it's really up to you i don't use queen excluders unless i'm putting them on the very bottom to keep the queen in the colony versus keep her out of certain boxes unless i am using the permacomb which is like the the plastic version of the better comb. Mm-hmm. The permacomb is a plastic drawn-out comb that is rigid that cannot ever be have anything done to it. So you don't ever want the queen laying eggs in that. Um, I, or if I'm doing the Ross Round honeycomb, I will put a queen excluder there so that I know that whatever they do up there is going to be fresh virgin wax and never going to have brood laid in it. But... It's the same thing. Like if you're doing a single brood box and you're going through and you're using a queen excluder, it's really the same concept as anything else we talk about. You just add that queen excluder above the brood box. Um, It does have its other challenges and stuff to go through and look at as far as, you know, maybe rotating comb in and out of it, um, providing space down there to ensure that she's got plenty of space to lay, curbing their desire to want to go ahead and potentially swarm because the brood nest could be constricted. Um, But one of the things that I have seen, if people do that, it's a little bit of a modified version, but what they do is they they have the brood box on the bottom and it does not have a bottom entrance. And then it's got the queen excluder above that. And then the next box up has the actual entrance. And then everything above that is your, basically your supers. And that method, the theory with that was that if the bees come in that entrance, they're not going to take their food stores down as readily down through the queen excluder into the brood chamber, Mm -hmm. except for what they need to feed the brood. But anything else is going to be offloaded into that first box or above where they can then immediately put it into stores and it doesn't occupy the brood space down in the other box. Now, I've never done this yet. I've thought about it before and I've done ways to where the bottom entrance is always just a one inch entrance, but the top entrance is like a three inch entrance. Um, but I've never done it to where the bottom box didn't have an entrance at all. And then I did uh, an excluder or anything like that and then had the entrance above that. So it could be uh, an interesting thing. I think Tom Seeley has some information out there on that. Um, there's been some other things that I've read from other beekeepers too. So it could be something fun to play with, but that's kind of, I kind of went off on a, a whole nother tangent there. But anyhow. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. 
It could be interesting. Interessante. Yep. I know、uh, the guy that I got all of, Mark, that I got all of my comb from, he had thousands of. Of、uh, the metal queen,、uh, queen excluders, and he would put the queen excluder on top of his brood box. But now he was also a, a commercial hauler. You know, he hauled his bees to the almonds and followed the, the pollen.、Uh, and, yeah. But、uh, he would only haul. He would only take the brood box anywhere he went. So he put a, he'd have the brood box, then he had a queen excluder, and then the, the honey above that. Now, he was a honey guy too, but、uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I hadn't been, all I've ever done is the brood box, a medium, and I hadn't been putting, a, my excluder goes on the bottom, like you said. Because that's where I learned it. Yeah. I miss you. <laughs> well, and, and that's because you've been doing swarms and water meter removals. And when you're doing a swarm capture or a water meter removal, you're, you're forcing them to go into a colony they didn't choose. And there isn't necessarily any drawn comb or any structure in there yet. So you put that queen excluder on the very bottom above the entrance so that they can't immediately abscond and say F you and leave.、Mm -hmm. Um, Once they get established, they've drawn out their comb and they're working and everything is great. Then you can take those queen excluders off. They don't necessarily need to be there. But yeah,、um, most of the commercial beekeepers,、um, they will have sometimes a double brood box system. And it's a lot of times they work with wall all one size. They don't want to have to worry about the compatibility issues of jumping between deep and medium and shallow and all that.、Mm -hmm. So a lot of them will have a double brood box, they'll have two deeps. And then the queen excluder on top of that. And that's what gets shipped around is that double colony. And then they will put your honey supers on top of it. There are others, like you said, where they will go through and do just one deep and ship that around and then put the honey supers on top of it.、Um, also, keep in mind, too, that a lot of those commercial beekeepers, they have comb that's already drawn out that they're utilizing. So they're not necessarily getting the bees, like they may have the bees draw out a frame in each box that's brand new. So, that they can get more comb and cycle through comb. But the rest of that comb is comb from last year and the year before and the year before that. So, they can immediately put it out there. The space is there. They put the colon, the, the colon, that's a cross between colony and pollen. They put the colony on whatever forage it is that they're out there to pollinate and then throw those boxes on top and let them go to town. And then they take those boxes off. Typically, extract it exactly wherever they are. So, if they're up in Minnesota, And they're doing you know, some special harvest up there. When they're done with that crop, they take all those boxes, they drop them there in Minnesota, and somebody in Minnesota extracts them and bottles them while the bees get put back on a truck with their regular brood boxes. And then they go to the next stop. And then at that stop, there's more boxes and comb there that get added on, and you know, just so on and so forth. It's kind of how that process works. Call money making. Yeah, it, it, but it takes a lot of money to make a lot of money, unfortunately. It's, it's hard on the bees. It is hard on the bees.、Um, it's hard on your wallet getting started, especially. And, you know, you, gotta, you have a sharp.、Uh, my brain, man. There is a big, big, big delineating line between what you start off with and the $145 to $200 maximum that you get paid per colony that you take to do, like almonds, for instance. And the 
permits to cross every state line, the fuel charges, labor, meals, room and board that you may have to pay whoever's hauling those bees. Um, So you've got to have a lot of colonies to offset those set fees that are going to cost you the same no matter what kind of thing um, to make the profit on that. So that's where it comes into the, you know, you're transporting 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 colonies out to go do this kind of stuff. Now, that's not to say that an individual owning the bees, having a flatbed truck with a flatbed trailer and hauling, you know, 300 colonies on that out to do almonds can't do it. They can because they're the person that's investing the time. They're paying for their own room and board and meals and they pay for the fees. So some of those costs are just eaten, kind of like what we do whenever we look at, well, I might make, you know, 20 trips to the apiary every month and there's fuel involved in that and we feed the bees sugar at certain times of the year and there's cost involved in that. But when I do my honey harvest, if I ever equated all that into it, nobody would ever be able to buy that honey because they couldn't afford it, <laughs> right. you know. And and so there's, you know, there's a there is it can be done on a smaller scale, yes. But there's still a lot of money and stuff that goes into that, and it's a lot of it, it's not anything that I think I ever want to do. Um, no, which I've said before, I don't I don't ever want to be in a commercial pollination or honey production where they are migratory and they get moved across the country. I don't think I want to do that. And then you know with blueberries. Which blueberries is a big thing right now, but in the stores, blueberries are the production of blueberries is very hard on bees because of such a small fields that they raise these blueberries in. Well, it's the it's all of the chemicals and crap that they put on the blueberries to keep them looking perfect and nice, and keep uh, bugs and critters from eating them, but also keep diseases and funguses and things from destroying them or making them not look desirable. It's almost the same thing as strawberries. Strawberries are also one of the number one overly, um, they can have the most contaminants on them because of the way that they're raised a lot of times. And honeybees will pollinate strawberries and they pollinate blueberries. Uh, The bees are not needed necessarily for the strawberries, but when a bee does visit the strawberry, it actually makes more strawberries and the strawberry lasts longer. Um, It's kind of a really interesting little thing there too. But yeah, it's hard on the bees no matter what. It doesn't matter if you're going to almonds, if you're going to blueberries, if you're going to an apple orchard. Um, There are still things that are done that can either kill off your bees or poison the bees and do other things too. So there's definitely that cost that is associated as well. Um, Makes it tough. Makes it really tough. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's why people have to take care of their bees and we got to keep the numbers up and yeah. And then you got mites and you got all this other stuff and all these things wanting to kill them. And we got people out there poisoning their, their, <laughs> making sure their, their plants are take, being done right and they have the right fruit and they're having to poison bugs. And then that is, gets in, what is a bee? It's a bug. So, yeah. Uh, I won't go any further. <laughs> I was starting to get on a tangent. That's okay. I go on tangents all the time. I know. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with a tangent, especially on a bonus episode. Yep. That's what they all are, tangents. <laughs> yep, pretty much. And, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. Uh, this heat is just hard on everything right now. It's hard on the, the beekeepers, the bees, and and it's really making it 
damn hard for everything to the bees to find something to eat in our our part of the world. So I'm just watching, yeah, it, making sure everything works. I was looking at the projected forecast all the way out for the rest of the year, and in here here in the United States, um, we in Texas. We had our first 100-degree day way sooner than we should have. We had more 100-degree days in May and June than we normally would. And now, or sorry, uh, yeah, well, technically, our first 100-degree day was in May. And usually that doesn't happen until mid to late June. And then July is usually hot and August is usually hell. Um, But that's kind of spreading out further and further. And now they're saying that... September is going to be hotter than normal, which means that the the summer dearth probably won't break until the end of September, beginning of October, which will screw up our normal fall flow. Um, October is going to be hotter than normal. November is going to be hotter than normal. So we may end up with our winter really just being a combination of fall leading into spring and no winter. And it could we may not have a fall flow, you know, like last year, our goldenrod bloomed and then died like within a week, it didn't didn't really do what it normally would do for the bees because we didn't have the rain that we normally get in October. So it could really be um, just a tough year. It was a tough spring. There was a lot of weird things happening, and, and it could very well be a tough fall. Um, summer has sucked, so <laughs> it may be just be... Tough out there. <laughs> yeah, it may just be like everything else in 2020. Let's just pretend like it didn't happen and write it off and... and skip it and start over <laughs> blame it on the coronavirus damn covid that's it yep that is for sure well sir um i think we'll go ahead and we'll close this one out so that you can uh, get home and take a nap and shannon can get home and everybody can get on with their finding air conditioning because surely nobody's going to be out doing anything today in the heat so a whole lot no <laughs> So we uh, we hope everybody is doing well. Hope that your week has went well and hope you have a great weekend coming up here, everybody. So we will talk with you all next week. Enjoy and uh, be safe. Y'all stay cool, be healthy, and uh, I guess do what we got to to do what we got to do. There you go. Easy enough. <laughs> Thank you, family. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you, and we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are a bee's knees.